Hi everyone, Pamela Log here, your host of the Energy Transitions podcast. If you enjoy listening to our bi-weekly podcast, make sure to hit the subscribe button and take a moment to leave a rating or review wherever you're listening. This will help us spread the message and connect with our community. Thanks again for listening to the Energy Transitions podcast from Inlet and Friends. There are many moving parts to the global energy transition. Parts that need to move and change in sync towards a common decarbonisation goal. How do we manage this change harmoniously and deliberately and in a way that is balanced with meeting the needs of people? This was one of the questions I posed to Jürgen van Hoof, Global Energy Utilities and Resources Leader and Partner at PwC Netherlands, and Chair of the Dutch Membership Committee of the World Energy Council. Jeroen shares his wisdom about why we can't lose sight of the human aspect of the energy transition and why orchestrated collaboration and knowledge sharing will be critical to reaching our net zero goals. I'm Pamela Lag, and this is the Energy Transitions Podcast. Jeroen, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you about a global energy transition that is taking place. It's a complex energy transition. And I'd like to refer to one of your quotes that says, managing energy transitions is as complicated as upgrading a Swiss precision clock without first stopping it from working. Collective collaboration of all the moving parts is key, unquote. That is certainly a very accurate description of the energy transition. What did you mean by that? And, and talk us through some of the moving parts that you are seeing around the world. Good morning, uh, Pamela. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me, of course. Happy uh, to do so. This quote... Um, so I think it's a nice illustration indeed of the complexities. Let me first say that if we step back uh, and look at uh, the global requirements to meet Paris goals and, and, and reverse the effects of climate change, the challenge is immense. And I think it's often underestimated. I think the general sense in, in the public domain is if we put enough solar and wind panels in the system uh, and we are well on the way, it's done. So why not hurry up? And the reality is it's much more complicated than that. Uh, we have a population globally with 8 billion people nowadays. Uh, it's expected to grow rapidly and to feed all those people and to supply them with energy in an undisturbed way or even give them access to energy, I think will be a massive challenge for the next decades to come. Um, and then if you, you mentioned in the quote, it's about energy transitions. So the answer on energy transition is not the same everywhere, but if you look at it on a consolidated level globally, all projections say that for the next decades we'll, we'll continue to use fossil fuel as a transition fuel. That says a lot. And even feeding 12 billion people requires a lot of fertilizers and fertilizers again goes back into energy and most of it are produced by fossil fuels. Now the moving parts, I was referring to, 
if you stand back of what needs to change in sync, it's not about the energy system only. So it's about a, a list. That's the first thing of many sectors that need to change. It's about automotive that needs to change in the way we move things, whether that's freight, shipping or cars or planes. Uh, that means different production of different vehicles, and it means different requirements in terms of resources. Same goes for chemicals. Chemical processes are largely driven by fossil fuels in the today's world. So those chemical processes will need to change to be able to generate the products we use on a daily basis. The plastic in your dashboard, in your car, the clothes we are wearing. If you think that through, so it's not a problem of the energy sector only, it's actually a problem of all the sectors that need to change at once. Now we have thought about uh, what are then the gaps eh, that need to uh, be addressed. Well, there's many. There's the generation gap, that's the one I started with, uh, the solar wind production gap. But then there's also a conversion gap. It's not we need only electrons. Those industrial processes I refer to actually need things we can burn and preferably green. So think about ammonia, hydrogen, etc. But the volume of that uh, requirement is, is massive. So converting clean electrons in those clean molecules and the quantities of, for example, hydrogen or any other energy carrier that is uh, possible to do that is, is massive. And as an example, if you would take European uh, current wind and solar production, plus what is planned on and offshore, if you would transfer all those electrons into hydrogen, it would only be sufficient to fuel 5 to 10% of the industrial consumption. That means the other 80% is still so that's a staggering gap we need to uh, close. The other thing that needs to move in sync, another piece of this watch, is regulation. There needs to be regulation that supports that transition to happen in sync with the right subsidies, with the right regulation, not in one territory, but more consistently. Then we have a storage gap. So we need storage and transportation. So billions and billions of infrastructural investments that are required, it's trillions actually. Uh, that needs to happen in sync. Uh, then there is the financing. So where does all this money come from with the increasing uh, interest rates? And maybe uh, to add one more, then there's the resource issue. So rare materials, I mentioned batteries, uh, the volumes of those rare materials, which are in areas which are not always easy to access or their geopolitical effects are also vast. And last but not least, we have a capability issue. So there's a lot of research skilled, skilled people that we need to support this transition. So that's why I say it's a complicated thing. It's a long answer to a short question, but, uh, but I think uh, that illustrates a little bit that this is not a simple thing, push a button and speed up. It's a, it's a real complex one. Well, absolutely. I mean, the questions are easy, but at the end of the day, it is about the complexity of what we are facing and trying to achieve. Yeah. Jorn, am I correct in assuming that the whole reason behind the World Energy Congress next year is actually to tackle these issues head on? Yeah, so the theme of this Congress is... Uh, redesigning energy for people and planet. So that's a big ambition. If we then step back to the to the previous point, that there's so many stakeholders that need to buy into this, the ambition of this Congress is actually 
to facilitate and support a conversation that is uh, led and conducted by all these stakeholders. So this is not an energy conference in the traditional sense where we bring together energy companies that talk about issues. It's a Congress where we want all sectors to re be represented. But also there's a very important point I think I haven't mentioned yet, and that's the humanizing effect. Energy is important for all of us. To have it available and affordable at all times is crucial. And with this challenge that will have consequences for the way we live, for all of us, I think it's very important that we also in this Congress involve, uh, yeah, say the people. And we're all people. Uh, we have a, we have nice job titles, but we also have a home and a way we live in. So it's pretty important that it's not only about business and and government and finance, but it's also about what do the energy transitions, regardless of whether you're in India or whether you're in Europe mean uh, in daily life. Uh, so take the example of Rotterdam, the ambitions and, and the progress in becoming a more circular and smart city where energy is consumed in a different way is something we will, will be putting on the agenda to also involve the local public and the people on what this means. And I think that's important because if that's not included, that's where it sort of ends, right? Uh, you need to have to buy in. And that's another thing I find very important that we do this together. It's not a problem of one stakeholder or it's not uh, companies, governments. Yeah, we all need to move faster. Yeah, that's that's clear. But it's something we need to solve collectively. So the ambitions of the Congress are quite broad uh, and the program is, is set up accordingly. We'll have about uh, 250 speakers, 60 sessions. There are immersive sessions, there are sessions in the Congress venue, there are sessions outside in the city itself. There will be a blend of a uh, diverse group of people that contribute from academia, uh, ministers, uh, CEOs, next generation. So they all have a place in this, uh, in this big coming together of thinking about solutions and moving things forward to get that Swiss clock remodeled and in the end uh, without stopping it in the meantime because that's very important when you talk energy hi there fellow podcast listeners this is paddy young the director of inlit apologies for jumping in but i wanted to take this opportunity to invite you to inlit europe which is taking place in paris from the 28th to 30th of november at inlit europe thousands of industry professionals will come together to have engaging conversations about all things energy transition Personally, I'm looking forward to discussing topics like supply chain challenges, future-proofing the grid, offshore energy strategies, new infrastructure versus repurposing, and many more. So kind of like this podcast, but then in real life. If you're keen to join, go to inlit-europe.com slash registerpod, fill in your details, and add the discount code podcastinlit for your 25% discount on the Summit Delegate Pass. Don't forget, podcastinlit, all one word and lowercase. I'm very much looking forward to seeing you in Paris. Okay, and now back to the episode. I love how you you mentioned the human factor and you bring it down to the fact that this is about people. We need people's buy-in to, to make the shift. How do we foster that buy-in and collaboration that we so clearly need? 
Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And it starts uh, actually by uh, sharing knowledge. I think it doesn't help uh, to only talk about do we meet Paris goals? If we don't, we have a problem. We need to speed up. It starts with knowledge and knowledge sharing. I think energy literacy, if you if you may use that word, is, a, is an important topic. If we want to stay connected to what's happening in society and in daily life, it's very important that we also share the complexities of this challenge and what effects they have on daily life. And as I started off with, I think the current perception to a large extent is, well, just put in more renewable power and we're done. Now, this is not the case. If you look at your daily life in the future, rooftop solar, smart homes, uh, waste recycling, the way we move, maybe we don't own cars, we share cars, it will change dramatically. Consumption patterns, I think, are also something to, to bear in mind. I think a lot of people forget that when they have uh, the lights on, uh, a traditional light bulb uh, is, is sort of equivalent to a, an adult person uh, driving a bike constantly. So the consciousness of the energy footprint that we all have in daily life, that's where it starts. And I think uh, that there's a sort of a disconnect today in that respect. And one of the reasons where we start with the Congress on that topic is to, to share knowledge and make sure all are included, uh, NGOs, next generation, uh, emerging countries, etc. In your opinion, is it time to start focusing in on specific technologies or solutions? Are we needing to pick technology winners? So there is no silver bullet today. It's a mixture of uh, technologies. Uh, certainly there are promising technologies at the horizon, but we need solutions today. Uh, if I take an example, uh, let's take carbon storage. Yeah, Carbon storage, I think, is not embraced everywhere because it's not an endless solution. Yeah, it's, it's a temporary solution and the carbon isn't gone. But at the same time, if we are realistic enough to understand that in some regions in the world will use fossil fuels as a transition fuel for decades to come, then it means you need to embrace carbon storage because it's a proven technology and it helps reducing carbon today and in the next few years. At the same time, carbon takeout technology is at the horizon. So again, the short answer is uh, no, there's no silver bullet. Uh, there's no real selection we can do. And I also believe that the interplay between uh, governments, companies, etc., should also find its way in selecting the right technologies at the right point. Let the market uh, take a role there as well. Um, and there is no simple one where you could say, well, if we pick out this uh, technology and scale it up and put a big subsidy program around it globally, we're done. It's simply not the case. What more can be done from a policy perspective to support the use of all of these technologies coming to the table? And perhaps if I can take a step further, next year we have the European elections, parliamentary elections coming up. What are you expecting to see and what are you hoping not to see from those elections? It's a very good question. And um, if as a starting point we think about we want to move faster, it means maybe the most important thing is that we need 
a European plan of approach that is very accessible. And I think currently the European plans around uh, decarbonization and the funding and schemes that are supporting it are difficult to access and take a long time. And the other thing that takes a long time is uh, project lead times, permitting, that holds us back really. What I like about the US Inflation Reduction Act, as an example, is that it is very accessible and it is almost written like uh, it's written by business people, which means, and that's one of the reasons why I think it's so popular, it's easy to access it and to use it and thereby it provides the right incentives to move quicker. So if anything, I would like to see simpler uh, schemes that are better accessible. And the other thing is, well, Europe is Europe. Uh, Europe is not the US. So I think it's always more complex to come up with uh, one clear, consistent uh, framework and, and policies. And that is, in fact, what we very much need. You would almost need a sort of a, I talked about all these parts that need to move at the same time. That means orchestration. And it means orchestration across geographies, so countries, if you want, in Europe. And it means orchestration about the gaps that we need to bridge. So then you're almost talking about Marshall Plan type approach, right? Uh, this is a collective issue. We need to solve it. It's probably the biggest challenge uh, that mankind has faced. Uh, so, so let's come up with a, a Marshall type plan that has a medium to long-term view. That's the other thing, maybe the last point, the third point to add. It's not going to be solved tomorrow. Uh, 2030 will be very challenging. Let's not only be blind about that, but also make plans that are executable and have a medium to long-term view, but are accessible today. Yeah, maybe a carbon bank would be something, right? A central carbon bank. That's, I think, the type of ideas that you would almost need to start to think about if you if you start uh, dreaming about, okay, how can we come up with the right European plan? It seems as if in order to orchestrate this in Europe, member states might have to put aside sovereign ambitions for the collective yeah. good. Because at the end of the day, like you say, we need that pace. Will we see that happening perhaps more now in the future? Good question. I think um, territories have different interests, right? And they have different starting points, uh, which means the answers aren't necessarily harmonized. But we have to step over our own shadow. And that's something that applies for companies, but it equally applies for governments. The issue will not go away. Climate change is a reality. And uh, the pressure from society, and rightfully so, continue to increase to come up with the right actions. So I think in the end it will be unavoidable that we step over those shadows and let's not wait uh, too long. I mean, but at the same time it's easy to say, right? Um, if I may take an outside Europe view, let's, let's say take India. 1.5 billion people uh, that need to be fed on a daily basis. They're probably one of the largest or the largest investor in renewables. At the same time, they're the largest consumer of coal. Can you say to a country like India, stop, stop using coal tomorrow? No, you can't, because that will leave 800 million people in the dark and without food. So 
we have to be acknowledging that as well. Uh, that's also part of uh, a balancing approach, and I don't think we want 800 million people to starve. So, so there are differences. We need to acknowledge them, but at the same time, step over our shadows. Let's work to a collaborative goal, and, th and that would be my my plea in this respect. Yeah. Do you think that we will see more work towards that collaborative goal at COP28? Yeah, I, I think we'll see progress, but I think the ambitions uh, that have been raised around COP are uh, the bar is set very high. So the likelihood of uh, of coming out of COP and being disappointed about progress is is quite significant, if you ask me. Yeah. So yes, I think we will see movement, and um, yes, there are possibilities also there are opportunities to move forward and uh, even acknowledging the territorial differences right if the developed world can be quite realistic about the fact that the emerging world has challenges that we need to acknowledge i, I gave the example of india of course the north if you want to say sort of developed uh, for 100 years using fossil fuels you can't ignore the fact that emerging countries haven't done so. So, but there are mechanisms we can apply, uh, carbon pricing and actually using the, the revenues of this carbon pricing to actually support those regions in making a quicker move as well for the benefit of the whole world. So I would hope to see progress on that side. I expect to see progress on that side, but will it meet the expectations? To be honest, I don't expect because we have set the bar very high. Jorn, as a final question, what do sure. you dream of in terms of your role and, and your passion for affecting change? Where do your dreams lie and how does that guide you uh, every day in the work that you do? Yeah, that's a good one. I think the acknowledgement that this is a collective problem that we need to solve collectively and act accordingly would be at the core of, of my dreaming about how to tackle the energy transition. Because that would mean a more realistic view on solutions, a more forgiving view, I would almost say, uh, to, to groups that can't move as quick as others. And it would mean a more deliberate plan on how to get from this old-fashioned watch to a modern watch a net zero watch and the reason why that is my dream and it doesn't like sound like a very sexy dream is because it is a crucial thing uh, because if this is not happening or is not the case it will take us actually much longer to get there or we will miss out on certain things that need to happen and start to happen today and those will have big consequences for all of us and uh, I'm a father of four uh, daughters. We all have families and there's a next generation sitting there. So it doesn't help to polarize more. It helps to collaborate and be realistic because in the end, we are the uh, carbon problem. So if we start there and work from there, I think it would be much more productive. Those are wise words, and I think a solution doesn't have to be sexy. It has to be pragmatic and, as you say, realistic, forgiving and deliberate. Jorn, thank you for joining us, and I'd like to thank our listeners for joining us. It has been a pleasure. Likewise, thank you.
Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this Energy Transitions podcast, brought to you by Enlit and Friends. Visit enlit.world for more episodes. See you next time.